Good morning, good morning, Rabbi Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated in loving memory of Vanessa's mother, Diana Cohen. Uh, Diana, Bat Sophie, Charles, uh, sponsored by Vanessa and Joe God. Also dedicated in loving memory of Nurit Roshan Zamir Nishmat, Nurit Nushafarin, Bat Hanom Ve'Yehuda, sponsored by Asher Roshan Zamir. Also, the weekend breakfast in the class is dedicated in loving memory of Nishmat, Joseph Major, Yosef Ben Rina, Victoria. Uh, my father's favorite parasha, Ani Yosef, and for the Askarav, our grandfather, Morris H. Levy, Moshe and Victoria, sponsored by Reina and Ezra Cohen, and Raquel and Gabby Habert, Azaku Baruch. Also done as a Zechut for Ashlema, for Hanabat Simafega, and Eliyahu Shimon Mazal Fortune. Finally, the week of Cobra was sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. My friends, I want to share a beautiful Kaliakar with you this morning. And I, and I think uh, as well I want to uh, offer along with this, along with this, uh, um, uh, this Dvar Torah, I want to offer a tefillah, a prayer, and a blessing, Be'ezat uh, Hashem. The Pasuk tells us that when the Jewish people came down to Egypt, after the drama and the saga of Yosef is finally over, they come down to Egypt. And the Pasuk tells us that they entered into the land, the land of Egypt. And the Pasuk uses a curious language. Kol ha-nefesh ha-ba'al Yaakov. All of the soul. Not ha-nefeshot. Kol ha-nefesh. All of the soul that came li-Yaakov with Yaakov before Yaakov the Mitzrayim to Egypt. Yotze'e yerecho. From those that descended from him. Milevad neshev b'nei Yaakov. Besides for the wives, call nefesh all of the soul, shishim v'shesh, 66. That's what it's telling us here, okay? How many are there when they come into Egypt? Well, there's three already in Egypt. Yosef, Minashe, and Ephraim. That's 69. And when they enter into the walls, right between, as they're passing through the walls, between uh, outside of Egypt and entering into Egypt, the final number, 70, is born. And who is she? Yocheved. Excellent. Yocheved. What, what, what Adina is asking is a very famous question. Why don't we count Asenat? That's a big question. Asenat, according to the many opinions in the commentators, was actually the daughter of Dina. Dina. Which means that she's one of the, uh, she should be counted as one of them. There. Sorry? She was there. So was Ephraim Menasheh. So it should be, when they get to Egypt, the number should be 71, magic number. It's a very interesting uh, question, because again, remember, even though the paternal father was Shechem, is that the reason? Maybe that's the reason. Right? Because Kodem Matan Torah, uh, the Yahadut would go the other way, uh, after the father. So maybe that's part of the reason. Either way, not to get into the, that concept and that question. Now, my friends, I want to focus in on that. And I want to read you the language of the Kliyakar. Listen to the Kliyakar. He says as follows. Even though there were many different souls, even though there were many different souls, still, nefesh. We called all of those souls nefesh, one soul. Why? Before this point, 
The brothers were jealous of Joseph. They were separated souls because of their jealousy and their hatred. But now, they become one. And their jealousy and their hatred dissipated, this went away. And also Yosef, did not have in his heart complaints, anger, hatred, with his brothers. So therefore, what are we looking at here? The soul of the children of Yaakov. What a remarkable sentence now we are looking at. Therefore the Torah told us this idea, nefesh achat, one soul, to talk about the, uh, the, the piety, the righteousness the tzidkut of, ya- of Yosef. Ready for my favorite line of the Kiliyakar? It's telling you one soul. So you know the righteousness of Yosef. And the tzidkut of the brothers. Now, <laughs> the righteousness of Yosef, I hear you. Look at what they did to him. Look at what they put him through. And he's willing to forgive. And he feels one soul with everybody else. Okay, call that the righteousness of Joseph. You want to tell me the brothers, you know, you know they, they, uh, they were better than they were before. Fine. They sold their brother. You're talking about the, the tzidkut of the brothers? What's going on over here? So I want to share something that I think is... Uh, is very powerful, okay? And I think, I think that it's the lack of this understanding, oftentimes, that prevents people from making necessary changes in their life, in their midot, in their outlook. I have a mug that was bought for me by a dear friend in London. And the mug says on it something that we had to say repeatedly on one of the trips that I ran. It was one of those trips with many students that we took an outreach trip back in London. And anything that could go wrong, did. We call it Murphy's Law. In England they call it Saad's Law. In international court, they're fighting it out whose law it is. But either way, Murphy's Law, anything that can go wrong, will. You ever have a day like that? A situation like that? Some people, you are nodding like, I don't have days that are not like that. But either way. So what was the statement that we said again and again and again and again and again on the trip? It is what it is. And we started texting each other. I-I-W-I-I. It is what it is. Like this didn't work out. The bus is not coming on time. We're going to be an hour late. We're going to miss an hour of great adventure. It is what it is. Okay? Lunch is not coming. Instead of taking them out for a nice lunch now, it's canceled, whatever. We've got to go for the pizza shop. We're going to lose a half hour each way. It is what it is. Eventually, the guy had a mug made up for me that says on the coffee mug, it is what it is. I remember when I was looking for a place to live, I walked into one place, 
And I said, this is the place. Because I saw a big sign on it. Inside the, on the second floor landing. And you know what the sign said? It is what it is. I took a picture of it. I do not live there because it cost $26 million. So it was not what it was. <laughs> but it is what it is. My friends, many people live their life, look back at situations and they wonder what would have been, what could have been, what should have been. On Friday afternoon this week, right before we went into Shabbat, we read the terrible news of the fact that three of our brothers, of our sons of Am Yisrael, ran out, and now we know without shirts on, waving white flags, after 70 days of being held hostage, they were either abandoned or their captors were killed, and they ran outside and the soldiers didn't know what was coming, they're operating in impossible situation, and they were shot and they were killed. Only afterwards did they realize that they were Israeli hostages. I don't tell you, I mean, I'm a very weird guy. Some of you know that already. Others don't know. If you want to know for sure, you can ask my wife. She's married to me, Azita. My mind, it always compares things in a weird way. Just because my, I have a big imagination. So it's, I just get these visuals. I remember growing up as a child, there were these shooter games. Do you remember those games? Played in the arcade. And one of the things was, as you're running through, you had to make sure that you're shooting only the bad guys and not the good guys. And you lost points if you shot the good guys. Anyone ever play one of those games? And I was just thinking to myself, it like as soon as I saw the news, like flashed to my mind how sometimes there's a swarm of people. Your eyes are not operating that fast. And if you don't shoot, you're shot. And that's just in a game. And you're already getting anxious and you're making these mistakes. Imagine the mistake is not points. The mistake is whether you go home. Now imagine the fact that in Shijaya, in these places, these terrorists are sending out um, uh, 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 Hamas terrorist fighters. All of them are fighting in civilian clothes. You're not fighting against a people who's courageous enough or brave enough to fight you in a uniform. Only one day before that, there was a courtyard set up with the, uh, mannequins dressed up in children's clothes, babies lying on the ground with bombs mixed in amongst a scene that was designed to make them think that they were seeing hostages. And they had a speaker playing Hebrew words. This is what they're up against, the sickest, twisted people in the world. They're being trapped and tricked every corner that they turn. Soldiers are dying left, right, and center. So you take an 18-year-old kid, a 19-year-old kid, and you send them in, and all of a sudden someone comes running out. You don't have a second. There's no time to ask. It's not the, whether it was the right thing or the wrong thing. But my friends, it's the most painful thing ever. But like Netanyahu said yesterday, it is what it is. We can't stop this war because... They forced us to kill three of our own. We can't stop. We can't stop 
hunting the people who told us again and again, we're going to do this again and again and again and again. October 7th is going to happen a thousand times. Sometimes we don't get to choose the situations that we most regret. It is what it is. We made a terrible mistake and we will have to live with that forever. And I'm so proud of our army that instead of pointing fingers at other people, Galant, true to his name, a gallant gentleman, stood up and said, it is my responsibility. It's the IDF responsibility that this happened. And even if there's nothing we could have done, we take responsibility, we take ownership. We'll learn whatever lessons we can. We'll call the family, we'll beg for their forgiveness, we'll cry at their feet. But what do we need to do now that we are here? You have people who messed up their marriage. Not necessarily in a sleazy or horrible way. Because they were insensitive, because they didn't care, because they always put themselves first. Now they're in a situation where their wife asked them for a divorce or they want to give their wife a divorce. Now the guy all of a sudden comes crashing down. The woman, all of a sudden her life came crashing down. The embarrassment, the this, the that, the kids, the, the house, the split, the money. And now they're sitting there all day long beating themselves up. I should have, I wish I would have, if only I would have. You ever have someone like that? And they're spending three hours telling you what they should have done. And as sensitive as you want to be, if you want to be helpful to that person, at some point you need to cut them off and say, Stop telling me what you should have done. Tell me what you're going to do. I was at a wedding. And they were playing, you know, Jewish songs. And everyone was singing. And, you know, even though it was a wedding, everyone was praying for uh, our hostages. A beautiful moment. And a kid comes up to me at the wedding. He says, Rabbi, you know, I've never been so proud to be a Jew. I said, that's beautiful. Hazaku Baruch. Stop telling me that you're proud to be a Jew and tell me what you're going to do as a Jew. What are you doing with that? It's just this feeling that you feel until you feel something else? It's passing? Like indigestion or acid reflux? I have Jewish pride, I have diarrhea, it's a passing condition. What do you do when you feel that pride? What have you done with it? The brothers made a terrible mistake. It is a mistake that we will need what we have had to pay for throughout all of history. I mentioned in the class yesterday, the Joseph paradox, the problem that Yosef tries his hardest to uproot hatred between brothers, but he doesn't manage to get across the finish line. I explained yesterday because of the Joseph paradox. He can't. He has to stop before he gets to the finish line because otherwise he just creates the problem anew. My friends, it is true that we will have to pay for it. And it is true that that's your responsibility. That has nothing to do with what you wake up today and do. You made a mistake. You hurt someone's feelings. You stole money from someone because you were greedy. Because you thought no one would notice. You rewrote the contract. You tried to do something to cut his commission. People make mistakes. Greed is a real thing. Dishonesty is a real thing. 
Finishing the month, let's be a little bit kinder now. Finishing the month, paying your mortgage, paying your tuition for your kids to go to school, it's a real thing. And when you don't have it, and there's something on the table that will allow you to finish the month, and all you'll need to do is write a fake email pretending that you, you know, uh, showed interest in the building before the broker showed it to you. That'll save you $100,000. People make mistakes. And I don't mean they make mistakes by accident. They did it on purpose. And I'm not saying it's the right thing. You will have to deal with that. You will have to do teshuvah. You will have to make that right. But it is what it is. That happened. Now what happens? What do we do now that we are here? The Kliyakar is telling us something unbelievable. He says, Lehodiah to teach you the Tzidkat Yosef, that after all that had transpired, Yosef was willing to put it behind him. But it also tells us about Tzidkat HaShivatim, Tzidkat HaAchim. Let me ask you, you hate someone, you're angry at them, so you hurt them. The fact that you hurt them, did that fix the reasons why you were angry at them? Of course not. I'll give you, I'll just give a simple example. Someone does something in the family, they arrange this, that, they talk to the dad, the dad puts them in charge of the business. Now, my father ices me out of the business, and the other one has the business. So what do I do? I'm so angry, I get the guy in trouble. Now I cost the guy $10 million. I don't know what I did. I reported him to this, to that, I, whatever I did. I hit the guy hard. Am I less angry at what happened because I hurt you? No. Says the Kliyakar, they done something terrible. But there were still those feelings that they needed to uproot. And may I add, in the eyes of family members who are fighting, how many times do you find a family member who fought or did something who says, you know what, I was wrong? Is that, that's pretty rare, isn't it? It's pretty rare. What do most people say? Look, I did it, but you have to understand. To quote such moral, uh, you know, high-standing people like uh, Claudine Gay, <laughs> genocide is a bad thing, depending on the context. Like, you have to understand, Rabbi. You know what he'd done to me before I did that? It's not like I did that in a vacuum. Right? Tzidkat HaShivati means that you know what most people would have done even after hurting their brother? When Yosef does what he does, what do they say? Look, you see, I was right to do what I did. Look at how he treated us when we came to Egypt. He called us spies. He played this whole game with us. The guy's a monster. They double down on there. The Pasuki is telling us something different. It's telling us nefesh achat. There was one soul at this point. Because at a certain point in the fight, everyone stopped, looked back and said, you know something? I don't want to do this anymore. It is what it is. But I don't want to do this anymore. Can I coin a new phrase with you today? It is what it is, is a factual statement. But just because it is what it is, 
does not mean it has to stay what it was. That's the new t-shirt someone should make me put on a mug. Just because it is what it is doesn't mean it needs to stay what it was. Israel is presenting a new idea that America doesn't seem to understand. Yeah, we're going to take Hamas out. Obviously, we're going to put the PLO back in. Really? How did that work out? We've tried that for how long? Decades. Israel is suggesting we have lived with terrorists for this amount of time. We're not doing that anymore. We're not doing that anymore. Just because it is what it is doesn't mean it have to stay what it was. You're in a situation, you're upset with someone, you're in a fight with your family. But my friends, this is not only about family. You have people who think to themselves, I can't do the right thing. I can't start keeping Shabbat now. I'm the guy. I'm the Studio 54 guy. You know, I was the guy. I was the guy that got everyone in. I'm the club promoter. I'm the studio. I'm the guy now. You want me to keep Shabbat? I'm the guy that everyone called for the Rezos to go to Nobu, to go to Nello's. I'm the guy. I'm the guy who was the food critic who always talked about how terrible kosher food is. Now I'm going to do that. My friends, it is what it is. Don't mean it's got to stay what it was. Every morning a person wakes up and they can ask themselves a simple question. What do I want to be today? I don't care if you didn't go to Shacharit 5,000 days in a row. Can you go today? We have in this community, Baruch Hashem, a packed synagogue on Shabbat. I'm sorry. I'm a rabbi and I'm greedy. Hand on my heart. I said before, people are greedy in business. I'm a rabbi, I'm greedy. You gave me Shabbat, it's not enough. I want you during the week. I mean, I think that's a good thing. The rabbi who wants to see his people more often. They tell the terrible joke about the rabbi who stands up at the end of Yom Kippur and says, Rabotai, Kal Nidre next year at 6.24 p.m. Come on. You go to synagogues, closed for the holidays. <laughs> Guys, I want more. I want more. You stop, used to go to shul. Rabbi, I used to go to shul. I used to put on tefillin. Okay, and then what? Then you stop putting on tefillin. And what do you want to do today? That's what the Kliakar is teaching us. That broken souls can come whole again. That broken families can come whole again. That a broken nishama, you, you know you're not supposed to do that. The rabbi said something. It hits you where it hurts. Badamanan, your mother, your father, someone passed away. At the Shiva, you thought, you know what, I want to do something more. Le'ilui nishmat my father, le'ilui nishmat my mother. And then what happened? Shiva was over, you didn't tell anyone, you said that in your heart. And you know what, it kind of slowly fading away. Okay, now's the day, today's the day. You heard this re recording, I'm putting you on notice. This is Hashem telling you, pay up, you promised me. Let's go. Who you were yesterday is not who you were tomorrow. My friends, I'll end with this. I went to yeshiva with a boy. 
This boy had 21 kids in his family. Okay? Not his cousins. He had tw they were 21 siblings. And he told me at the time that none of those kids were twins, triplets, quadruplets. That means the mother gave birth 21 times. I said, holy cow. How old is the oldest kid at the time? Was I think it was 23 years old. The name is Fishman. I went to yeshiva with the boy. His first name was Chanoch. Anyone who knows Chanoch Fishman, who hears this, could actually call him up and ask him this question. It may not have been 23, it may have been 24 years. It may have been 25 years. Basically, she was pregnant for the 70s and the 80s, Yanni. <laughs> right? He told me he used to, his mother used to go to Macy's, and the woman would say, you want this dress? You like the dress? She says, yeah, what size? She says, whatever size you have. <laughs> I could have had it all. Listen, my, my friends. They could not fit in a car, so what, what did they have? They had a school bus. A school bus. Insurance was so expensive that the father became a person who sold health insurance. So he could get the cheapest deal as a purveyor of health insurance. All this is true. But let me tell you the best part of the story. So I asked the guy, I'm like, you have 21 kids. You know, where, you don't, like, you have no space to breathe. You know, it must be very difficult. Kid says, now what are you talking about? Listen to this. This is one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard in my life. And Chanoch Fishman, wherever you are out there, I want you to know that I still remember it from when you told it to me way back when we were kids. He said, at 9 o'clock, I don't remember the exact time, maybe 8 o'clock, certain time, 9 o'clock at night, he goes, I kick everyone out of the dining room, I put my mattress on the table, and the dining room's mine. Hadda was telling me, very proudly, that he had his own space. What was his space? A mattress on the dining room table. In his world, that was space. And that was enough. You could have a parent who has a mansion. And the kids still feel like they have not enough room. Everyone's in my face. I need my own wing. Okay? And you could have 21 kids living in a house where the kid's bedroom is the dining room, and the kid could feel okay. And he doesn't resent his brothers and sisters. And you have this mitziyut of nefesh achat. We like to think that it is what it is means that there's no way. Listen, I have this many kids. I do not have a big house. So what do you want from my life? It is what it is. The kids are going to fight. It don't have to be that way. It can always be another way. To tell you the tzidkut of Yosef and to tell you the tzidkut of the Achim of the brothers. Baruch Hanayi Leolam.